It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 26th of February. The Rockets are in town. But a weekend to look back on, why I don't like the models, and what's ahead. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. The Houston Rockets are in town. I think there's tickets available, but tickets have been going like hotcakes recently. Uh, and so it's been tough to get in the building. I'm the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. Thanks for tuning in. This is Locked on Jazz. We give you a daily digestible-sized, usually, podcast that gives you a little extra insight, expertise, look behind the curtains, and geeky numbers about what's going on with the Jazz. We do it for you every day. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for the five-star reviews. It's been much appreciated. So uh, thank you all very much. Today's show is brought to you by the Advocates as well as Intercap Lending. Thanks so much. All right, let's get to it. Uh, Jazz split over the weekend. The win streak comes to an end. And the offense has not come back from break yet. Uh, That's really the most obvious thing here, that the offense has not clicked back in yet. The offensive rating against Portland was an 85.7, which was the 57th worst performance of the season. The worst was Miami. We've only played 60 games. And then against Dallas, we were 44th for our season in offensive rating. So two tough games. The defense actually stayed good in both of them. Portland's Offensive rating was only 100.8. Dallas's offensive rating was an 89.9, eighth best performance of the season. And so the Jazz won a game over the weekend because they were good enough defensively. And, you know, that's still going to be the calling card here. The offense got hot during that streak, but probably unnaturally. You know, we're third or fourth best offensive team in the league. And, you know, the way this team is, if we get hot for 11, 12 games offensively, we're going to win. A lot in a row uh, because they're just that good. In 22 of Gobert's 34 games this year, defenses have ended up with an offensive rating below or below 101, really, is the best way to say it. That's 65% of the games. When Gobert plays, we hold someone's rating below 101. So... You don't have to be. We don't have to be great offensively. Put that in perspective. By the way, I haven't checked it recently, but I think last time I checked that Boston had a defensive rating of a hundred point six or seven, and they're the only team that's under one hundred one. Boston's still the number one defense. San Antonio, then Toronto, Philadelphia, and Golden State were sixth. Uh, Boston's at one hundred one. So. The best defense in the NBA is Boston at 101.0. And in 64% of the games that Rudy Gobert plays, the Jazz are below that number. Pretty incredible. The Jazz are sixth best defensively overall. So we're going to win games. You know, it's interesting. Like I was on the chairlift yesterday at Snowbird. 
and talking to this guy. He's like, "Do we? How did we play last night?" And I was like, "Oh, we didn't play well." I was like, "Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, actually, wait. we played great. It's we didn't shoot the ball well, but we played great, and we've got a grasp that you know a seven point ninety seven ninety win when even though our offense went nine of thirty two from three is a good win because that's quite frankly how this team has to win games. The three-point shooting that was at 42% during the win streak over the last three games, if you go to Phoenix included, is 27%. So we're not as elegant. We're not as fun to watch. It's not as jump out of your chair unless we can start to train ourselves to jump out of our chair every time we hold someone to a defensive stop. But really, that's who we are. Defensive rating with Rudy on the floor since the break is a 97.4. And the defensive rating for the season is a 99.3. It's just the, the, those numbers are stunning if, you, if, you got, if, if you've gotten used to them. Uh, if you haven't, I apologize. I'll try to continue to make it digestible. Uh, the, in, there's been some talk... That, oh, well, our bench isn't right. You know, we're missing Rodney, we're missing Joe. There, there might be some validity to it. Um, and the bench has not shot the ball well. I just would remind you that over the last two years, Rodney was available 71% of the games, and in 40 of the percent of the games he played, he shot below 33%. So I think you've got to phrase that differently. I think you've got to phrase that, that you know, we we missed the Rodney Hood that's hitting shots and playing, uh, which, you know, you got every now and then. And that is true. Uh, that that's what we're missing. Interesting, by the way, on Rod, five games now, and his numbers are almost exactly what they were with the Jazz. He's just playing a lot less. Shooting 44% from the field, 44% from threes, a little up. He took his first two free throws the other night to open the game uh, when he first checked in in the first quarter. I watched that game. He's played 122 minutes, has two free throws with, with Cleveland. I, I don't know that that's, that's going to be a great deal for him. I think he's going to get minimized uh, into just kind of a, I don't, a, he's a lot of running down the floor and standing still. For Rodney. It's just not, you know, it's interesting to watch Jay Crowder, who, you know, was criticized pretty heavily for what he did playing inside of the Cleveland system and then watching Rodney Hood because I can see the same thing happening. They play different positions, but I can still see the same phenomena about to happen to Rodney Hood. He's just sitting still. It's too bad. Uh, Jay has been great in his energy intensity. He's playing a lot. Uh, he's playing 28 minutes. Late. He's not shooting it great. He's not a great shooter. And he even said it after the game the other night. He's searching to go find out where he gets his shots, what he's supposed to do. He's averaging 13 points, four rebounds, and assists. He's shooting 40%, 29% from three. Uh, his above-the-break three-point shot is not a great shot for him, and that's where he's getting a lot of his threes right now, and that's probably got to evolve a little bit. But, boy, is he aggressive going to the basket, breaks the paint, creates things, and versatile defensively. 
So the takeaway from the weekend, not to, you know, I want to admit, is first of all, Portland's really good, and we'd wax them twice, and they came to get us. I think that's, you know, I think let's let's make sure that nobody kind of forgets that that's what took place as well here. Um, the second one is that the defense is the still the calling card, and the offense, we're a pretty precision-based team. The offense has not refound its groove that it had pre-All-Star break. And I don't know that it will because teams play so much harder this time of year than they do before the All-Star break. Not, they're just not tired. That, that, that comes off wrong. That comes off believing that somehow, um, you know, that they, they're not, they're just tired. By the way, the, the number that probably matters on Jay Crowder is we're plus 8.3 when he's on the floor. Plus 4.6 when he's off. But plus 8.3 when he's on the floor. In five games. So funny that Neto is out again tomorrow. And you just have to wonder, the plus minus with Neto this year is a 12.2. There's something about Neto's skill set and this group where he unnaturally matters. If that if that makes any sense to you. Today's show is brought to you by Intercap Lending, 40-year mortgage company that has moved to Utah, and Intercap Lending can do great things for you. They did our refinance. It was a super experience. Uh, The first thing they're doing uh, for your experience is that a lot of it's based off the app, so download the Intercap Lending app, and they're going to make everything easy. You can take pictures to get your documents so you don't have to be rifling through a million things, driving them somewhere. You're using technology to make it easy. Steve Carter uh, and I joked with me that they're trying to make it as easy as ordering a pizza if pizza had a few regulations on it. And Steve Carter works over at Intercap Lending. He's the guy who was my mortgage guy. Uh, he's the one who help you out as well. You can call him at 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. So that, and also you can use the app in this insane market to get pre-qualified uh, based on the information, and then you have that for your realtor. The, the second thing that they do uh, by being uh, servicing your own loan, they can do some things for the customer other people's can't. So v- veterans are half the volume at Intercap Lending. Really good VA pricing. Uh, as a Sotheby preferred lender, they have access to everything, and so therefore they can help you out uh, if you are dealing with a difficult loan. Sometimes difficult loans are the obvious, like a low credit situation. Sometimes because you're self-employed and it's hard to show. Sometimes because you have other business assets. Sometimes multiple properties confuse things. So they can look at any loan, and if particularly if you've been turned down, see if Intercap Lending can help you. Call Steve Carter at 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. And then for the Locked On Jazz listener, you get your appraisal for free. Pretty incredible. 385-885-28. That's Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. Life is complicated, especially right now. You're spending more time inside, unable to go to restaurants, and that means you're cooking dinner. But if you're like me, I hate cooking. Multiple trips to the grocery store, hours of monotonous meal prep just so you can scarf down your food in minutes. So when it's dinner time, I grab my phone, open up an app, and order something. But after convenience fees, delivery fees, and who knows whatever other fees, it ends up being close to $100 for two people. 
But then I met Freshly. Just put up your feet and relax while Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and dinner's done. Imagine a better for you golden oven fried chicken, steak peppercorn with sauteed carrots and French green beans, and my personal favorite, buffalo chicken with loaded mashed cauliflower. It's got fewer carbs. That's just a few of the 30 plus health conscious options to choose from. Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple because let's be honest here. If it's not easy, I'm not going to do it. And if it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it. Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off, $40 off for their first two orders at freshly.com slash locked on NBA. That's freshly.com slash locked on NBA. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of excitement by a lot of people about the models that for playoffs. And I'm, I'm going to get to that in a second and why I think they're faulty and misleading uh, this time of year. Uh, but first, the Rockets are in town. The Rockets won again last night. They're 46-13. and 13. When Capella, Chris Paul, and uh, James Harden play, they're 30-1. and one. That's ridiculous. 30 and 1. Harden's averaging 31 points and 9 assists a game. They are the number one offense in the league. Their offensive rating is a dominating 116.0. They are one of the, if not the, greatest offensive team Probably the greatest offensive team that the game's ever seen. And they have just completely figured out how to roll. It's interesting depending on the system you use, um, unless basketball reference changed. Basketball reference has them as the number one offensive team in the league and the Warriors as the number one offensive team by NBA.com, which then makes you realize how great these two teams are. Um so I don't know where the metric difference is between those two, but uh, they that does exist. Um, the running down the Rockets, they're taking fifty percent of their shots as threes. They have the second best effective field goal percentage, and they go to the free throw line the most of any team in the league. Defensively, they're twentieth against the shot, so that criticism is real. But they do a good job of forcing turnovers. They're great on the defensive glass, and they don't foul a lot. And that brings them to the ninth-ranked defense in the NBA. There's not an enormous separation here in this middle of the pack defensively. Uh, Kind of starting with Portland at 104.6, and then the Rockets at 105.3. Then there's four teams between 105.6. There's seven teams all within a point of each other. They kind of get you to the average in the NBA, so... The Rockets right now are, you know, ranked 10th defensively or 9th defensively, and yet they could slide a little bit pretty quickly. Uh, though I'm, I'm not, I don't know why they would, um, you would think they would. They've just been that good. And I, I think they're a very legitimate threat to the Warriors. Um, they are the number one team in the game in the first quarters, and they, they're just doing it the opposite way of the Warriors. They just come out and get you. And then you're trying to play, you're trying to come back from behind. You can't. They have been 
they have trailed by ten, by 10 points. Okay, Pretty easy, particularly with their high-variance way of playing. They have trailed by 10 points this year in 5% of the minutes played. 5%. They are so dominant that they have trailed by this is this one blew my mind when I did this uh t- last night. They have trailed by more than 5 for only 13% of the minutes played all year long. 13% of all the minutes played all year long. They have trailed by more than two possessions. It's even less than that. That's five. They, these, they have just been coming out of the gate early in games, taking control, and dominating. I mean, frankly, they've only trailed all year for about 25% of their minutes. I don't have that exactly. I could very quickly. I have the other numbers around it so that I could form that. But, it, I mean, trailing is pretty easy to do, <laughs> right? The other team hits a bucket or two. You got to try to get it going. They've trailed for 28% of their minutes all year long. Now, the Warriors have been waiting to play. These guys have just been beating you. This becomes more eye-opening when you suddenly go look at the second halves of games. So there's nights where you just shouldn't have it, right? They have trailed by... Double digits in the second half. Again, only 7% of the time. So they've trailed overall 5% of the time. And that, and the reason this, I think the second half number is bigger, by the way, is because you're into the game. In other words, like it's they're good enough. They're not going to trail by 10 in a lot of first quarters. So to some extent, you're, you're eliminating that because there's just not enough game for them to fall behind. But by the time you get to the second half, things could have gone wrong. The idea that all season long they've only trailed by five or more points 13% of the time is pretty nutty. They're dominant. Be an interesting one for the Jazz to see if they can stay with them tonight. And obviously, you got to make shots. Gobert causes them some problems in the past that other teams, that other players can't because Rudy is so... Agile and able to cover so many different you know areas, and really is able to cart Harden and Capella close to it at the same time. The problem is that they have kind of adjusted to it, and then James, you know, James has gone off against us this year. He's averaging what thirty five points a game against us. So there's no easy answer there. Why I hate these models that get everyone's playoff hopes up. I'll explain that after and explain how last night was a not a good night for the Utah Jazz. But first, I want to tell you about Utah's advocates. Uh, excited to find out I get to have uh, lunch again with Matt coming up. Matt is uh, the lead attorney at Utah Advocates. They've been running uh, for 25 years. Injury attorneys predominantly helping you after a car accident. So there's an interesting little note on these car accident claims. 
Only 1% go to trial and only 3% go to arbitration. So the minute you know that, then even though you might have a different experience and accidents are different, the process is the same. That process you want to have being as efficient as possible. And that's where Matt really just was cool to meet him and get to know him a little bit and see how he does his business. So what they've done is they figured this out and then they figured out, well, how are we going to be better than everyone else? They've built a 106-step process. So you get in an accident. You call Utah Advocates at 801-355-5550. An attorney calls you back in 60 seconds. The attorney talks to you, understands the case, gets it into the system, and now it really, without being impersonal, has an airplane checklist. It actually allows them to be more personal. Okay, this client needs this, they need these things. And then they have people inside the company whose jobs are to do exactly the same thing for every single one of these cases. So they become an expert in their special team's field of dealing with insurance companies, dealing with a hospital, deal, whatever it is. There's 106 steps along the way to get you to the finish line. And they are going to take you through that in an efficient way. That efficiency means productivity, which means communication, which means expediting the process and making sure you get good results while in the meantime nothing bad happens to you and you're treated well in the process. It's what separates you to advocates. It's what's Matt and his crew has built. Give them a call at 801-355-5550. That's 801-355-5550. Hi, this is Nate Duncan from Locked On's Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Those of you who listen to our show know that I try to take a measured approach. I'm not prone to hyperbole. It really takes something special to get me excited. But with all that said, Theragun is simply one of the best products that I have ever used. I just turned 40. I've always loved to work out, to play basketball when it's safe. And as I got into my 30s, it just wasn't possible to do that anymore the way I wanted to because my body didn't feel right. And Theragun has helped me fix so many of the aches and pains. I've tried everything, massages, chiropractors, this at-home device, handheld percussive therapy has worked better than any of those for me. And now the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor. It's so quiet. It's no louder than an electric toothbrush. And best of all, you can try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need. Starts at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on, the name of this network, right now, and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's Theragun com slash locked on theragun.com slash locked on all right so there's the 538 model uh basketball reference models that project the rest of the season and then talk about whether who's going to make the playoffs the flaw to me in these models is that what they're doing is basing the rest of the season on the past performance up to this point. But Denver, New Orleans, Portland, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, San Antonio, Utah, and the Clippers are all going to be playing at a higher level and better over the final 20 games than they did in the first 20. Unless they get hit by an injury or something goes wrong, this is, I've been around this league forever. The last 20 games, if you're in a playoff race, the first 60 games do not tell you what's about to happen. It's, it just doesn't work that way. For the simple reason that it's more important for the these games. 
You project, like, right now, basketball reference projects Denver's schedule the rest of the way as them going 11 and 11. They're not going 11 and 11. New Orleans is supposed to go 12 and 11, and Portland's supposed to go 11 and 11. They're not doing it. They're too good, too talented, with too much on the line. It's just not going to happen. So, the way I like to break it, and this is not nearly as scientific and not nearly as good, but there's some logic to me. I break every game into five categories using the probabilities that exist from by 538 or others based on the previous part of the season. So, okay. And what so the Jazz play the remainder of the way seven games in which according to 538 they have a win probability of 80 to 100%. You just have to win all eight of those. And in the playoff race, you probably should win all of Or seven, they won one already. You should win all of those. Those teams are probably not looking to win. You should win all of them. So then I break it, in, I break it into five categories. Certain wins, should wins, that's 60 to 80%. And you're going to win those at closer to 80% than 60% because you're in a playoff push. Pickums, which are against similar teams usually, so you split those. Then there's the unlikelies, which are 20 to 40%, and frankly, you go win those about half the time now, or closer to 40%. Like, if there's seven of them, San Antonio's got seven of them, they're going to win at least three of those. They got one last night. And then there's no chance games, okay? For whatever reason, scheduling something else, you've got a 0% to 20% chance. I did this before the weekend's games. The Jazz have the best schedule. The Jazz have 14 games that are in the should win or certain win. Eight of them, eight of them are certain win games. Next closest is Oklahoma City with five, then Minnesota with four. Minnesota's already won one of those. Denver, Portland, Clippers, three. So that's, those are big. Should wins, Minnesota, you have Portland with 11, the Clippers with 11. Now, regularly, you have 11 of those games, you're going to win somewhere between probably, you know, probably 65% of those games or so. You're going to win seven of the 11. Now you're going to win, you're going to win eight or nine of those. It's just, there's, you're going to, you're going to play better. Then there's the pickums and the unlikelies. So the Jazz only have four games that they're unlikely to win. That's where the Jazz schedule is better. And so the Jazz really have to amp this thing up. What the wiggle room is zero. Because when I did this, what jumps out at me is my projected win totals to close the year is Minnesota at 50. This was before Jimmy Butler got hurt. Oklahoma City, despite their struggles at 49, and it'll be interesting if Oklahoma City suddenly, Oklahoma City has 13 games that are should wins or pick'ems, and I'm, I haven't, can't do off the top of my head, but I'm probably of those 13, I would guess I'm projecting them to win eight or nine of them. If they really actually have a problem with that Andre Robertson, then then that's worth noting. Portland at 48, again, 11 should win games, and they'll probably grab most of them, and they grab one already against Phoenix. 
I have Denver at 47, San Antonio sliding to 47, though they got a win last night. It probably wasn't entirely expecting. And then the Clippers at 47, Utah at 47. And that's with everyone that's everyone playing well. New Orleans at 46. New Orleans just won an unlikely last night. Might as well push them to 47. It's going to take 47 wins. I, I think there's going to be two Western Conference teams that are close to that are above 45 wins that are not going to get in the playoffs. You're going to need 47, assuming that not everyone wins like this. You're going to need 47 to get in without a tiebreaker. It's going to be insane, though. I, I went and did it by kind of time of the year. So on March 15th, I have suddenly have Oklahoma City at 42, Minnesota and Denver at 40, 38 for San wins, 38 for San Antonio, Portland, and New Orleans, Utah 37, Clippers at 35. But by April 1st, Minnesota at 46, Oklahoma City at 46, Portland at 44, Denver at 43, San Antonio at 43, New Orleans, Clippers, and Utah at 42 battling for that final spot. Interesting little notes on the scheduling. Denver plays their final four games against other playoff contending teams and five of their final seven. And Denver closes playing every team they play from March 23rd to the end as a playoff team. Eastern or Western Conference. So that'll be it. Denver runs in to the negative of what I'm talking about here, which is that everyone is being playing as hard, and that's going to be a pretty tiring stretch. New Orleans has a sequence of five games, I believe, in like six nights, and they're projected to win four of the five. I don't know if they can actually do that just because it's too many games. They're home, I believe, for almost all of them. But it's too many games. The Clippers, who everybody kind of wants to dismiss, play eight of their final 17 games against teams in the playoff race. And four of their final five. We play them on the 5th of April, which is a going to be a big, big game. Crazy wild scenario for Utah is we close at Portland with a chance that Portland's got everything solidified. Also, chance that they're battling for home court advantage or playoff positioning. But, uh, or maybe, you know, so. But there's a chance that they have everything somewhat solidified there. Uh, a nice one for the Jazz is at L.A. on the 8th. The Lakers, they they could be in full tank at that point, and that's not a game that looks great on the Jazz scheduling. And we don't, you know, we don't know about goal, at Golden State on the tenth. Who knows what they're doing? But likely they're playing for the number one seed. But anyway, that's why I don't love those models. A few NBA five news notes for you: Dan Fagan was killed in a car accident in Aspen. He's an agent. I didn't know him personally. I mean this um, 
I mean this positively. This is a compliment. The best way I can describe his work is that teams were terrified of him. Uh, When teams knew that he was never going to give anything easy to them from a client standpoint. He was always getting everything client wanted. Uh, DeMar DeRozan has opened up about anxiety and depression. This is following Michelle Roberts opening up of on the issue recently. I, I, I'm really hopeful on this. Uh, there, th- this feels like very quietly behind the scenes, maybe the most important story that's going on in the league right now. And it's no one, you know, it never gets a lot of attention, but anxiety is rising in our society and kids at a dramatic level. Uh, the social networks are, if you read, there was a great Atlantic article. If you haven't, if you're raising kids and you haven't read the Atlantic article about are we losing a generation of social media, I strongly suggest stopping what you're doing today and reading that. And then um, you can decide if you want to parent how I did. But I made my kids read it so they understood that there was actual medical science behind the fact that these devices were bad for them so that when I was parenting them and being a jerk, I'm not just doing it for the fun of it. I'm doing it the same way. I don't leave, let them eat eight chocolate chip cookies and I don't let them do drugs in the house and I, or out of the house either. But I, you know, like that I don't let them do these. There's a bunch of things I don't let them do because it's bad for them. And the social network and the phone is no different. Um, so anyway, it's by the Atlantic. I think it was called if we lost a generation to social media. If you need me to send out a link, I will. Uh, but anyway, the DeMar DeRozan came out. This is all tied into the fact there's an incredible rise in anxiety and depression in kids, which means that there's an incredible rise in depression and anxiety in our players. Right? They're just a, they're, they're brilliantly talented basketball players, but they're not different than the rest of society. So it's, DeMar DeRozan came out about and talked about it in a Star article and just mad respect for him. Um, I just know of enough players in this league who are hiding this. Um, that if we could get rid of the stigmatism, maybe they would be able to move forward um, in some positive direction. All right, that wraps us up. That is Locked on Jazz. Hope you had a great day. This is, or have a great day. This, or have had a great day. I don't know. It's your choice when you listen to this. So whatever it might be, I hope you're great. See ya. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.